Welcome, all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who has just announced as the writer of a new Fall of X book, which I think is most of you. It is time for episode 43 of Your Weird Dose of X, the only X-Men podcast that is also a member of the Weird Science family of podcasts. I am Jason, and chatting with me live from an alternate timeline is Ruben. Ruben, first question, what are you drinking today? Oh, good question. Uh, Earl Grey. Nothing Earl exciting. Grey? I thought you were yeah. going to be back on coffee after Lent. I thought that was a whole thing. <laughs> I, I was waiting for this. You were you were coming back and celebrate with a brand new, super dark, roasted, Sumatran, Hawaiian, whatever it is you coffee people drink. No? <laughs> All right. I'm going to go get a Mr. Brown then. Okay. I am continuing with my usual uh, my usual Darjeeling, which is uh, my, my X-Men drink of choice. <laughs> ah, a little natural sound there for you. So, uh, this week we will be talking about X-Men number 21, which is the conclusion of the Lord of the Brood story, at least over in X-Men. Then we'll be talking about Storm and the Brotherhood number three, the anti-penultimate episode of Sins of Sinister. But first, we have a little bit of news to talk about. Uh, we have a soccer update. As as we know, we are slowly transitioning this to being oh, a, God. a full-time soccer uh, I don't want to do this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We'll start off with, with the good news, at least, is uh, I, I finished watching the anime Blue Lock, which is pretty cool. Uh, one of the better sports anime I've seen. It, it was not realistic in the slightest, which is fine with you me. You don't want a realistic sports anime. I, I hate too accurate you know, sports. There was things. another soccer anime like six months ago or so. It's called Ao Ashi, which I think seemed to be more realistic. I got bored of it after two episodes, which yeah. seems pretty realistic to me. Uh, but but uh, Blue Lock is going to have a whole new season coming up in a little while. Uh, but last week, Crunchyroll, which is their streaming service over here in the U.S. and the biggest anime streaming service in the U.S., they sponsored a real-life three-on-three soccer tournament in Dallas with Blue Lock-themed prizes and some of the English dub vo- voice actors on hand. So that seemed like a cool thing. I, cool. I could not find out who actually won. Uh, but it sounded like a good time, and that was the soccer news that interested me most over the past week. How about yourself, Ruben? Uh, yeah, so we had our derby game this this weekend, and my Sanders got their ass kicked so badly that oh, no. it's embarrassing. And I was completely confident that we were going to go in and, and wreck house, and that's how it started. Um, everything looked great, and then we got blitzed and had four goals scored in like 18 that minutes. That explains the two tweets I saw from you when I logged on to Twitter the other day. Oh, we have the yes. one very hopeful soccer tweet, and then right yes. after that, one one not so much. Oh, well. Well, better luck next It's fine. Season. Yeah. I mean, we just – it's the rivals, and they always seem to have our number, but – they're going to end up kind of probably not making the playoffs and we'll probably be in first place at the end of the year. So it's all good. <laughs> Except you hate losing to your rival. Of course. Okay. Now, in actual X-Men news, well, two weeks ago, we had this giant list of titles for us all to speculate about that just kind of blew my mind. Last week, we had some actual information about the new Steve Orlando Iceman ongoing series. Well, uh, since that time, we've gotten creative teams and basic information about five more of those books. So just quickly let people know what's coming out. Here it goes. Uh, first up, we have Dark X-Men, written by Steve Fox, art by Jonas Scharf. Now, we did speculate that this title might have to do with that outpost of Limbo left in New York City at the end of Dark Web. And hey, that was correct. So I'm, I'm starting with one we got right. Uh, the team here will be Madeline Pryor, Havoc, Archangel, Gambit, and Gimmick. Gimmick being one of those Children of the Atom kids, the one who was actually a mutant from that Vita Ayala series from, I don't know, 
two years ago. I uh, did not expect to see her again. And I don't see a listing of how long this series will be, but I'm pretty sure it's a mini. With that, Dark Web, I know you didn't love it that much, but the Dark Web X-Men, is that coherent? It's just a standalone story, or do you really need to read the event to understand what's going on? Well, I, I think it'd be fine. It's, it's all just, uh, you won't see what's going on over in Limbo. So it's kind of a split between New York City and Limbo and what the X-Men characters are doing, what the Spider-Man characters are doing. All it really comes down to is that, yeah, there's now an outpost of Limbo in New York City, and that's where uh, Madeline's hanging out, and she's kind of on good terms with Jean Grey again, and Havoc's kind of hanging out with her. Saying don't even go back and read the Dark Web thing, just I didn't think it was all that. It was, it was just a lot of silliness. It was very, very light comedy. It didn't seem to be taken seriously, but here it is, uh, continuing on in another book, so maybe it is meant to be taken seriously. Next, we have Realm of X which we thought might have something to do with uh, Betsy Britton, but no, this is to be written by Torin Gronbeck, art by Diogenes Neves, or possibly Neves. Uh, these are mutant characters playing in a, a Thor kind of a space, starting in Vanaheim. The team will be Magic, Danny Moonstar, Marrow, Dust, who's been seen lately on Mars and, and Legion of X and other books, Curse, uh, a kid from that X-Men Green arc on X-Men Unlimited, and Typhoid Mary. There's That seems like one of those, uh, somebody pushed a randomizer button on a website somewhere. I mean, Magic and Danny make sense together, but the others are just, just crazy. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this writer either, so I'm pretty low on this announcement. She hasn't had any real prominent books. She's kind of been cleaning up on the edges of books that Jason Aaron writes for. So she's done some Thor things. She's, she's done, I think when, uh, when Donnie Cates Kind of went away for a little while. She filled in on some of his stuff. She's done some tie-ins uh, for Aaron's current Punisher run. She hasn't really had her own title so much, so we'll give this a shot. I, I, I have not been crazy about any of the books she's put out, but she's a, a fairly new writer, and, and maybe this, uh, again, I w it Hellion seemed like it couldn't possibly work because that had a crazy team, and that was my favorite book in all of this entire era of the X-Men. So I see a crazy team. I think maybe, maybe it'll be good. She wrote a story in the Warhammer 40k space that pretty much killed all the goodwill I had for uh -oh. that universe being turned into comic books. So uh, yeah, not, not excited at all. And took characters that I thought were, you know, in theory, interesting and made them extremely boring. <laughs> I, I do. I kind of need to see how Typhoid Mary is going to play with all these other characters. It could be could be a complete train wreck, but like a train wreck, I, I, I'm not going to look away. I'm going to I'm going to check it out. Uh, next, we have Uncanny Spider-Man. Now, this one hurts my brain. We did speculate. <laughs> That Cy Spurrier might get another series to continue that story he's been telling through Way of X and Legion of X and in Nightcrawlers even. I did not expect that Uncanny Spider-Man would be that book. Yeah, this is Cy Spurrier still telling more Kurt Wagner Nightcrawler stories. Nightcrawler is going to put on a Spider-Man outfit and swing slash bamf around New York City. Um, I, I don't get, I mean, his, I've seen pictures of the costume. Have you seen <laughs> sketches of his new costume? Yes, I have. The and costume goes over and around his tail. Yes. I, I've never had a tail, but that can't I'm be comfortable. Confused. Yeah. I, I have never thought of those characters associated with each other. Although I do remember way back in like the eighties, nineties, the X-Men spent a lot of time hanging out in New York. So I guess they would be aware of Spider-Man, but I, I guess can't so. think of a single time that like there was any 
affiliation between those characters. It's really bizarre. There have been some hints that this book might try to answer some questions about uh, Kurt's like actual parenthood, which is something that they played with in continuity back and forth so many times. Will it be just more back and forth? Will it be anything definitive? Who knows? The art will be by Lee Garbett, who I, I like. He did the Death of Doctor Strange series. So if if nothing else, I expect it'll it'll look really nice. And that will be a five issue mini. Next up, Alpha Flight. Now, I'm not sure how deeply this will even connect to the story of Krakoa. Right? None of the solicits for these new series even mention Krakoa, which is odd. Right? We we can talk about that when we speculate later, but nothing here is about, oh, here's what's happening on Krakoa. This mini will be written by Ed Brisson, who wrote about eight issues of New Mutants way back at the start of Krakoa. You might remember that he and Hickman were kind of trading back and forth in the title for a while, with Hickman telling the story in space, and Brisson doing that bit with Boom Boom and company fighting a bunch of hicks at Beak's Farm. Do you remember that story? It was a long time ago. Now, this is Brisson's first time back in the X office since then. So it seems to be kind of a, a bookend, you know, in there at the beginning, here at what Kind of feels like the end. Characters here will include Guardian, Puck, Snowbird, and Shaman, and they seem to be opposing a group that has Aurora, Northstar, and Nemesis on it. Uh, some of those are mutants, right? At least Aurora and Northstar? Again, what this has to do with anything, who the heck knows? We'll check it out. It will be a five-issue mini. Next up, Ruben's dreams do come true. We have Children of the Vault. Uh, besides the Vaulties, or Vaultites themselves, the main character in this book will be Bishop and Cable. Okay. Uh, I can see, you know, there's a thread of continuity here tied in with X-Men books, although I would have expected maybe Laura or Sink or Forge to be involved. We haven't heard about them yet. This is to be written by Dennis or Denise, D-E-N-I-Z, Camp, with art by Luca Maresca. This seems to be Camp's first work for the big two. He's recently done a series for Image called 20th Century Men. Not to be confused with 20th, 20th Century Boys, the classic manga title. And Maresca has been the artist on Marvel's Monica Rambeau Photon book, and also on the first arc of Rainbow Rowell's She-Hulk. And it will be a four-issue mini. So, uh, Ruben, you have this reserved already at your comic shop? I should. I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting it. That's the what I'm most interested in, the ones that have been announced. Although I don't know this writer, which kind of makes me anxious a little bit. But it's all right. Yeah, in the interviews for their promos, he seems very excited to be writing these characters, as, of course, all the writers always say. Uh, yeah, he says he's going to be kind of filling out the, the culture and history and characters of the children, which could be fun. Yeah, which is good. Uh, unfortunately, I may be like the only person that's read everything that they appear in. So I'm going to be looking at this with a very critical eye, but... Okay, you will be will our see. expert for that book. I'll have to <laughs> defer to you there, because I've only read... You know, bits here and there. So, uh, besides Children of the Vault, any of these other books really uh, call out to you? I will check out the Size Superior book because it's so bizarre, and I enjoy Size Superior, but it looks like a train wreck. <laughs> and yeah, the- I think that's the one I'm most intrigued by, too. I mean, I just need to see what they were thinking there. Uncanny Spider-Man, it's just... Yeah. How could that possibly make sense? It, it seems yeah. like it can't, so I must read it. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'll check them all out. I, I just am not excited about them. I, I mean, at least they haven't announced Leah Williams and Teeny Howard. And That is interesting that they kind of, some of the previous writers you thought they might try to weave back in here when after the last books are finished, really haven't yeah, like been brought back in. So 
Yeah. Who knows or what even that who's means? The, who's the guy that was doing the Sabretooth book? You haven't seen his. Oh, Victor Laval. Yeah, I don't know where the Sabretooth War is going to take place. Excellent <laughs> point. We have not heard about that. But but yeah, none of these books talk at all about Krakoa. Yeah. All of these are going to spin out of uh, Hellfire Gala, which kind of kicks off Fall of X. So I am starting to think that maybe something really crazy is going to happen to, you know, for Nightcrawler to go off to New York City and all, you know, Alpha Flight's doing stuff in Canada, I guess, and other group gets sent to Vanaheim. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe maybe something really, really big is going to change. I mean, they probably need to just to reinvigorate people's interests in the line. Yeah, uh, but they're doing it really with just miniseries, right? Other than Iceman is allegedly going to be an ongoing, everything else is four or five issues. So is this the start of something new or is this maybe trying to fill some time in between when the next new big thing is? I've seen some speculation over, oh, they're going to bring in a big name writer to kind of do a Hickman thing again and kind of run the whole universe. Is is this going to be where Donny Cates lands after he comes back from his kind of sabbatical is Jason Aaron going to come in and you know, take over this when he's done with Avengers? The first one was exciting. I don't need multiversal <laughs> X-Men. <laughs> so, yeah, please no Jason Aaron's, but I'd be I'd be happy to see Tony Cates get a shot. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really want to see the Krakoa era get a worthwhile ending. I want to be able to you know imagine that this era is having a beginning and an end and an arc to the story. We're going to say, okay, here's what happened. And here's how it finished up. I hope it doesn't just kind of fade into the next thing, but I'm not in charge of that. So we will certainly check out at least the first issue of each of these series. And then you know, we'll continue with them as it makes sense for how much we like them, how important they seem to be, and what else is going on at the time. Okay, that's enough about future stuff. And all that's going to start off in like August, September. Uh, today, we're going to head right into X-Men number 21, Lord of the Brood, Part 3, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Clayton Cowles, design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. Now, I'm a bit down on this issue. There, there is a, an issue in here worth discussing, but I, I can't really decide if it's adding actual complex, complexity and texture or if it's just Duggan kind of throwing in some nonsense to fill in page space. We'll, we'll get to it. Now, there are three different locations where things happen here, more or less separate stories. We have things happening on a spaceship, things happening in the astral plane, and things happening on Nowhere with a K. So uh, let's take those in reverse order, starting off on Nowhere with a K. I still don't understand what's going on here. I confused, I thought I knew in the first issue of this year, of this arc, and then the second issue, maybe say, oh, are they, are they doing something tricky? And here in the third issue, I'm thinking, Oh no, it's just really confusing. So Forge and Penance are on the disembodied celestial head known as Nowhere with a K in a different universe on the other side of a black hole. Some weird stuff happened with them that I do not understand. They were they were doubles of themselves lying unconscious on the floor, but those seem to have disappeared. And now those two have managed to rig together some kind of black hole discombobulator tech thingy to quickly zap them right back into their regular universe somewhere out near Jupiter. So I guess that worked. That's all, right? They're, they're back. We didn't really get a whole lot of drama to it. We didn't get a lot of external, like, cool space uh, vistas, this issue. I guess right near the end, we get, I think my probably my favorite panel is when you see Nowhere with Jupiter in the background. 
the rest of the panels are all just Forge and Penance standing around and talking near some land-looking tech. But I guess Duggan thinks it's important to have Nowhere back and have it in the control of Krakoa, at least for now. So that's the Nowhere story, I guess. The issues, up. yeah, and they did nothing to explain what was important about this other dimension, what was important about Nowhere. I mean, as far as I could tell, it's just a, a space station, right? There's a lot of effort to get, you know, a big space station back. I mean, it looks cool, I guess, but could be, <laughs> but you could probably make this thing, right? If you just needed a facade to look yeah, like a Yeah, they just need head. another, you know, a sword station or another whatever in space. You'd think that if they were able to terraform Mars, they could build themselves a space station. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy had a Galactus ship, you know, that basically looked like Galactus for a while. So you could very easily just recreate a nowhere-looking space station. And there's, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of time spent for nothing. You know, nowhere is going to come up again later in the issue. So maybe maybe that's what it's all about. We'll get there. Uh, location number two, in the astral plane, specifically within the psyche of cute little brew, the king of the brood. We learned last issue that the reason that the brood were doing bad stuff all over the galaxy, even though their king told them to only attack those people who deserve it, was that Nightmare, the Doctor Strange villain, wanted revenge on Jean Grey for handily defeating him back in an annual, you know, without breaking a sweat. So in this issue, Jean Grey handily defeats Nightmare without breaking a sweat. Oh, what she does is, well, here's the quote. I'm waking all the souls you've preyed on and letting them know that their nightmare is on the menu. He's then attacked by, I, I guess, the souls of all the people he's killed? These kind of dark ghosts? Yes. Can Gene do that? I guess astral plane, astral plane. I don't need to explain anything because it's the astral plane. And it's Gene. She's like. And it's Gene. And I mean, should she do that? I mean, she's using the souls of dead people to, I don't know, allow them revenge, get revenge. I don't know. But as Nightmare gets dragged down into wherever these ghosts are dragging him, he, he speaks prophecy. Your world is about to burn. And when you are brought to your knees, I'll be waiting. You speak of breaking bonds, but I promise you. What is one will be two by the end of your day, and then you'll still have the fall, fall, Ruben, of your kind to witness. So yeah, a pretty obvious reference, that whole fall of X thing coming down the pike. But what what do you think, what is one will be two? What what could that mean? It means the X-Men who act with a singular purpose are no longer going to be acting with a singular purpose. Like the whole mutant nation? I think the the second reference is about the fall of... Greco and the first reference is about Gene and Scott kind of splitting a bit. That was one of the readings I thought of too, because we'll see them again kind of not getting along so well later in this issue, kind of out of nowhere. But maybe that's what as one will be too. We know Marvel does like breaking up long standing marriages and romantic relationships. So maybe that's what's going to happen here. And you know, Ruben, I, I know you think that I make too much of this and maybe I read too much into things and Maybe that's true, but once again, this is Marvel presenting one of their big female characters as being so perfect and so untouchable. There's no struggle, no threat. You never think that Nightmare is going to get away with anything here. There's just no possibility. Like Mary Poppins, she's just practically perfect in every way, which I think is kind of boring. But, you know, maybe I'm overacting. I'm sure we won't see another instance of this trope later on this very same episode. Couldn't possibly happen. I do think you normally make too much of this, but the characterization of Jean is getting obnoxious. And she she's definitely is like a MacGuffin. She's always right, and her powers 
are always enough to stop whatever needs to be stopped, which is bizarre to me. It does seem that way, yes. Moving on to our third location, on a spaceship. So the rest of the X-Men have rescued this kind of grab bag of various generic alien types from a brood-infested world. This is the very same world where Cyclops' dad, Corsair, has been had been infected by the brood and was just barely saved through emergency surgery with claws and such. Sadly, no one thinks to check all those generic alien types to see if they too might be carrying brood babies. One of those various generic aliens comes up brood positive and Sink belatedly uses telepathy, which takes them all about five seconds to scan all of them, so I don't know why I didn't do that before. But in those five seconds, he determines that, yes, 100% of those various generic aliens are brood positive. Oopsie. Uh, to quote another less generic alien, uh, it's a trap. The X-Men mostly sink, save the day, kind of, by blowing all of those infected generic alien types they had just saved right out into the vacuum of space where they all perish horribly. So much for our heroes. Oh well. It's like the X-Men had never fought the Brood before. I mean, that's the th- one of the things that I'm just like, are you serious? This is like... It's like a like a horror movie where they make the dumbest possible mistake. And they even they even... Like last issue dealt with Corsair infected, right? Like it's not even like, oh yeah, well we haven't dealt with them for very long, so like of course it just kind of slipped our mind to run the site. They didn't check. even make an excuse, like oh we don't have time to check them. We'll do it as soon as we can. They seem to be just yes. cruising along, and here they all just go. So pretty dumb. Uh, so the two sets of characters now meet up with Gene and Magic joining Scott and the gang on the spaceship. And here they have the argument that I'm not sure may or may not have substance to it. Cyclops is on Team Genocide. He thinks that the X-Men should just go and wipe out every last brood in the whole universe and just kill them all. I don't know how they do that, but that's what he wants to do. Gene is on Team Give the Brood Another Chance. And it's it's a very Batman kind of argument, right? You know, we know the villain's going to escape and kill again. Sure, Brew is kind of in control, but... He wasn't in control for very long when Nightmare came and messed all that up, so clearly someone else can do it again. Maybe we just save time and just kill the brood now. Now, Jean exerts her dominance over Scott and wins the argument. Uh, yeah, kind of by using her own, you know, psychic powers and telekinesis and all that good stuff. I'm not sure if this is Duggan trying to do something long-term interesting with Cyclops' character. Right, he's certainly been almost even a semi-villainous type before, or at least one tough to sympathize with, kind of like a Magneto, right? Where he gets like a mutant extremist. Are they going there again? Or is this just a one-off argument between the couple for no good reason, just because we need another conflict? What do you think? Uh, I think it's an attempt to do something interesting. And yet I'm just sort of annoyed by Gene in this perspective. I mean, the Brood are literally just a parasitic race in space. Like, I don't even see if they serve like an ecological balance that's that's the question right we don't really have at least i don't have the information to pick a side here i i all i can see is little old brew he's he's a nice guy and he's technically one of the brood but he's a mutant so if they have the possibility the potential to create someone like him does that make them a sentient race worth you know keeping alive or are they just space smallpox right i would not be upset if on earth we just wiped out the smallpox virus. I would not be protesting that. Yes. Is that what the brood are or are they, That's what like, they are. <laughs> like an enemy enemy people who, you know, pick whatever enemy country you want to pick and say, oh, well, should we kill all of them? And I'm going to say no to that. 
So I just don't know how to how to think about the brood here. They're not that interesting. <laughs> Sorry, I had a, had a pause to cough there for a second. Okay, so now there's also a data page, basically of dialogue they didn't feel like illustrating. And on this page, Bishop joins Team Genocide, and his idea is, hey, we'll just cook up a mindless Wanda clone. We, we've got our DNA. And then a, one of our many mutant telepaths could wear that clone as a puppet and just have her say, no more brood. Which I guess, if I'm asking, well, how could they wipe out all the brood? I, I guess that would do it. I mean, do Wanda's powers even work like that? They did. Were they just part point. of her body? It seemed like when she was resurrected in Trial of Magneto, things seemed more complicated, right? The no more brood thing is a reference to one of those events, and I can't recall which one it was, but. Oh, yeah. It's House of M and M Day and That's No right, More yeah. Mutants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the one that, that reduced the mutant. That was one that made Wanda into, you know, mutant enemy number one. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was House of M. Yep, so she's just crazy and she just said that. Yeah, I think she does have that ability. Just yeah, She has it, but would a clone of her have it because her powers are, they're not like mutant X-gene abilities because yeah. she's not a mutant, although she kind of was, but then she wasn't. So anyway, Magic I don't think abilities. we're supposed to take this all that serious as a possibility. We're just, it's just another way of them reminding us, oh, this is a horrible thing to do. All the readers should be on Gene's side here. There's not Correct. a lot of ambiguity. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and we were told that uh, Psylocke and Magic are on Team No Genocide, and there was a vote of the Krakoan War Council, which is a democracy now, okay? And that vote deadlocked at two to two. But again, this page is just to make us be extra horrified at the idea. But Forge, who is also now part of this conversation, he offers up nowhere with a K as a safe haven for any brood refugees that Gene and Brew can go gather up. Meanwhile, Magic and Cyclops and the others head off into Captain Marvel number 49, where this two-title kind of crossover is supposed to wrap up next month. So yeah, that's the issue. There's some things happened, there's some arguments had, and I, I don't know if these are ideas that are going to continue into the future, or if we just kind of had an issue of the X-Men pretty much screwing up and filling up some time before we get the fall of all of the mutants. Yeah, it's it's a letdown in my mind. Now, art-wise, there's nothing wrong with the art here, but it's not really given room to breathe either. Just lots of people standing around and talking, people standing around and arguing. The fight with the brood-infested aliens is pretty good, but it's not like we're invested in any of those characters or thought they had a chance of beating anyone. So even that felt kind of flat. Uh, a lot of stuff happened in this issue. None of it in ways that particularly got my interest aroused. I'm going to call this a 6 out of 10. How about yourself? Yeah, very much a 6. I mean, the most interesting thing is Nowhere's Back and it's infested with Brood. And that's not that exciting to me. Yeah, is it infested or they're the friendly Brood who live there? So maybe that's just, they're, they're kind of like refugees. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's a ticking, it's a ticking time bomb. I mean, Brood's going to get taken out and the Brood will be back to being a threat. It does seem like that might be part of, you know, I'm guessing a lot of things are going to go wrong for Fall of X, and this is yes. probably part of it, along with, you know, Orcus and other stuff. And, you know, speaking of Orcus- I mean, you could see that happening, right? And then Gene and Cyclops splitting because of their disagreement. I, of, I told you so. Yep. <laughs> Never tell your wife, I told you so, will yes. not go well for you. Yes. That's what I'm going to predict is- Okay. I, I like that. Let's go with that. Now, the preview image for next month- shows some Orcus characters, Dr. Stasis, uh, those Orcus scientists who turn themselves into apes, 
and also Modoc, whom we haven't seen since I think issue eight of this Dug and Run, back when Captain Krakoa was still we weren't supposed to know who that he was Cyclops, but we all kind of knew he was Cyclops. So we're getting uh, Orcus coming back into into focus as one of the enemies. So maybe that'll be good. But that is for the future. Uh, this past week we also had Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants number three, Sins of Sinister Part Nine. The Song of the End, written by Al Ewing, art by Alessandro Vitti, uh, colors by Rain Berido, letters by Ariana Mayer, design solely by Jay Bowen. Now, as we kind of expected, this picks up right from the end of last week's Immortal Number 3. Uh, Sinister has landed at what is now called the Storm System, where John Ironfire and Cora of the Burning Heart have been guarding Sinister's lab for the past 900 years, give or take. Uh, remember, it was a really, really big deal in number two when Storm sacrificed herself to cast the spell that sent her la- uh, the lab, Sinister's lab, way the hell out to the you know outskirts of the galaxy. There's a, a pretty heavy narration that flows through this issue. Now, there was not this narration in prior issues of this series. The narrator's not named, but based on the font choice and the flowery language and the poetic 654 syllable pattern, this, this has got to be Lotus Logos. There's no one else who talks like this. And while the earlier books had the feel of old science fiction movies, this issue seems to be trying to feel more like like the Iliad or the Aeneid, epic poems about heroes fighting and dying, which makes sense because the issue is essentially one long battle with Emma and her Empire of the Red Diamond having tracked Sinister to the Storm System. I would have thought that Emma and John might be on the same side here, right? Because don't they both want this messed up world to continue? Isn't Don't they have the same position here? I'm not quite sure what Emma's after other than, well, we got to get Sinister. Yeah, I think she's just bored and wants to conquer something else. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a, there's a real strong drive here other than maybe, yeah, she thinks that the original Sinister is going to cause some problems. So I don't know why John doesn't just turn Sinister over to her and say, yeah, you take this bozo. I'm going to keep uh, this universe ticking along by guarding this lab here. We seem to have our interest in common, but does no, he know we get a big why, fight. Does he know what Sinister's trying to do? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is Sinister shows up and he's like trying to get access to it, but I don't think John necessarily knows what he'd be able to do with that. He knows not to trust her. We don't really know what he's been up to. We get this hints that he once he feels bad that he didn't trust Storm enough at some point, and I don't think we know what that's about, do we? No. So his whole mentality, his whole goal is pretty nebulous to us, unless I'm missing something. So uh, Emma and her Empire of the Red Diamond are attacking using a whole new set of Chimera. Uh, these are a group called Codename High Summers. These are a combination of Cyclops, Havoc, and Vulcan, all the Summers boys. Uh, they also throw in an old X-Men villain called the Living Monolith. Next, we have Codename Loud Hailer. These folks are a blend of Lotus Logos, Siren, Banshee's Daughter, Frenzy, and Random. Uh, third, we have Codename Hot Claw. Did we really need to call back to that little <laughs> era when Logan had Hot Claws? I, I don't I know. Actually Seems maybe a little funny. too cute. Little too I cute. I thought it was funny. Okay, okay. <laughs> there, there are no Wolverines in this mix, just the Catgirl sisters, Feral and Thorn, plus Mercury, who's been a background character a couple times in the size Superior books, and Pete Wisdom, you know, to make the claws hot. Can't have hot claws without something to make the claws hot. Uh, and finally, we have codename Sage Advisor, who is a blend of Sage, Betsy Braddock, Artie Maddox, who is that pink kid from the original X-Force who can project, project mental images, 
and Jamie Madrox so he can make a bunch of them. Also, Emma herself climbs into what is called the Mistress Mold. Not Master Mold, the Mistress Mold, because it's Emma, bondage, get it? Uh, which is a giant diamond kaiju that Emma mentally commands from inside, sitting in what looks like a, a nice warm bath. Okay, Emma likes baths. Uh, too bad we'll never get to see Emma's kaiju fight against Beast's kaiju over in the other timeline. I think that could be a fun scene, don't you think? You know, you know, Beast like more Krakoan organic one and her diamond thing and he's breaking submarines and she's shooting laser beams and whips. Why not? And again, all this stuff sounds really cool. Like all those words I just said, all those mutants I listed, all those different, you know, circuits of mutant powers, it all sounds cool, but there's there's no depth. We will never get to know any of these characters. Their specifics are not important to understanding the story. It's just we need to have some, you know, big badass fighters and let's throw a bunch of names into a hat and make a joke about Hot Claws and throw it out there to look cool. Which I think is sadly a lot of my problem with this issue is just it's a lot of flash over very little substance. Yeah, this in my mind is one of the worst issues I've read for viewing in a long time. And definitely the worst issue of this event. I just found it annoying and boring. I'm not a big fan of the saga writing, and I don't understand how Lotus Logos could be the one relaying this, given that I thought he was dead. But We've okay. seen this narration in X-Men Red a whole bunch of times, and it was fine there because it, it makes sense. So I don't know if we'll get next issue or in the future some kind of idea of them actually pointing out who this is, or if it's just Al Ewing likes this style of narration and just kind of went with it. And then we have this like garrison that the, the heroes are on that's like on fire. <laughs> and I was like, what purpose does the fire serve at all other than to just look, I guess, menacing? But you're using this to what? Fight against spaceships? But like nobody's standing in the fire, right? And fires, it's just Core bizarre. of the burning heart just projecting her energy throughout the station is all I can get out of it. Well, so we've got these this big old team of enemies attacking. How can Ironfire defend against this? Well, he uses his own post-apocalyptic version of The Five to cook up another storm. Uh, I'm going to say a whole bunch of new names now. Uh, old Oda lays an egg. Uh, conveniently Sinister has a bit of Storm's DNA to inject into the egg. Krana the Commander commands the egg to live. Bloodroot the Bone Shaper does the, you know, the, the bone shaping. Uh, Genus, the Mind Flayer, takes memories of Storm from John Ironfire to give this newly hatched person some version of Storm's personality. This I thought was kind of interesting because there's no cerebral backup here. There's no waiting room. So the new Storm is going to be a little sketchy memory and like, personality-wise. It's all coming from his idea of who she is. Oh, and Cora uses her power amplifying powers. There's a vial of Hope's blood thrown in for good measure. Once again, cool sounding names and concepts, not a whole lot of substance, just we need some gimmick to make Storm alive again and undo the whole big, wow, Storm died moment from last issue. It's never even brought up that Storm's whole deal has been, you know, I'm of Arako now. I don't want to be resurrected. One one life is enough. You'd think there'd be a big thing. Well, we thought it was a big thing when Wow Storm dies. Now it should be an even bigger thing when Wow Storm's alive again, kind of. But it doesn't feel that big. Well, not really Storm, and I'm sure they didn't <laughs> bother to include that memory in the clone that they <laughs> brought back. Of all the things that John Ironfire would know about her, yes, th that would be a big one, I would think. So if they're using yeah. his memories, 
I would think, oh, I shouldn't be back would be a prominent part of that, but it doesn't come up. Well, maybe he doesn't think this is her, and he just thinks this is a you know a tool that he's deploying in this conflict. I guess, but again, he seems to have this whole emotional thing going on where, oh, I didn't trust Storm enough in the past, so I'm going to trust this Storm now, which doesn't work if it's not really Storm. So again, the whole emotional resonance and power and structure of it feels a little shaky. So uh, Korra charges this new Storm up because she can supersize her powers, and this new charged up Storm handily defeats Emma's kaiju without breaking a sweat. Hey, have I heard that phrase somewhere before? Uh, yes, the new storm does die again, but only as a result of just how strong her own powers are. Two issues in a row, the only character allowed to, to defeat Storm is Storm. And I'm not even going to say it, I'm just going to throw that out there and just kind of go, hmm. I don't understand what Storm did to defeat the kaiju. It seems like she created some sort of sun or something. Lightning and then got powers, poisoning. lightning is electricity, and she used... Right, it's electrical forces holding the molecules of the kaiju together. So her lightning electricity disrupted that, but blowing up well, how all did she atoms get radiation created, poisoning? Blowing up all those atoms, you know, disrupting the atoms of that structure released a bunch of radiation, and she okay. didn't remember to shield herself from it because she's six minutes old. Is what I got out of this. There's probably science that says that's exactly what would happen. And here I am being critical. <laughs> it, I, I thought it was sciencey enough with the hand waving of you know mutant powers and stuff that that's yeah, fine. But again, it would just need to have a, a big big battle, and we need Storm to win. So in the final panel here, Sinister uses a gun made from the hand of that Doombot from last issue to shoot John Ironfire in the back of the head. So I think Sinister is the only one left alive here. Uh, John on Ironfire presumably dead, having just been shot. Korra's dead. All the new five, we just met them, they're dead. The Doombot's dead. Emma and her Chimera are dead. And Storm is re-dead. Is anyone else still alive, or is it just Sinister at at the place where he wants to be, outside the fence? I'm assuming that uh, Rasputin 4 is still alive, because we haven't resolved that storyline. We don't line. hear anything about Rasputin 4 in this issue. We left her last time, floating in the middle of space. This was 900 years ago. And she heard a voice and presumably was about to make a deal with uh, Mother Righteous. Yes. So I'm sure we'll see or hear from her going forward, but at least right at this particular spot. She's got to be almost here because that's the final conflict, right? That has to be. It certainly seems like Mother Righteous is going to be a, a huge deal in these last two issues of Sins of Sinistra. So we'll have to see how that goes. I also hate the idea that the Doombot's hand can function as a severed hand, as a gun. Makes no sense to me, just the yeah, way I know I, electronics know. working, right? Distributed batteries, power sources, I don't I don't know. Doesn't yeah, make any it's sense. just dumb. It's to make a handgun joke. <laughs> so, big picture, the art here has that same scratchy, sketchy, heavily ink style we saw in Immortal Number 3. It it does the job fine. It kind of gets that, that gritty, you know, horrors of war, horrors of battle feeling across, but there's no single page that really wows me like that Exodus Planet page did last time. The full page splash of Emma's Kaiju is probably the best, and even that's kind of silly, right? This this giant Emma Kaiju holding a whip in space, more 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 silly than impressive. And so in this issue, there's a whole bunch of cool words and concepts tossed into the blender. Storm is alive again, and then dead again in the space of just a few pages. 
Storm is in the same location he was at the end of Immoral, but with a bunch of dead characters around him. I still look forward to Nightcrawlers next week, and then Sins of Sinister Dominion, the finale, the week after that. But yeah, this issue was kind of a letdown. Just like uh, the X-Men book we just read, I'm going to give this issue another 6 out of 10. Yeah, I was around 6.5 on this. I'm slightly more interested in this because it at least advances the plot that I care about, but there's not a lot that I... I'm excited about from this issue. Is not Al Ewing doing the things that we've been impressed at Al Ewing doing? It's kind of kind of marking time, kind of just saying some cool words. But sometimes, like towards the end of an event, it feels like they need to stretch things out a little bit, and maybe this was that issue. Maybe things will, will speed up next time. So next week, speaking of next time, we have Bishop War College number three of five. We weren't too crazy about issue number two, but we'll do at least a brief update on what Bishop's up to in that alternate universe and what his team is doing stuck under Krakoa with those Fenris twins. Probably a, a two, three minute thing, but you'll hear about it. I bet they're yelling at each other, and I bet Bishop is still shocked about being in the all black universe. Next, we'll talk about X Force number 39, which promises to be a quote, new era of X Force. And we're told that Colossus and Wolverine are going to join X Force. And I was confused because I thought Wolverine was on X-Force, but this is Laura being on X-Force. More specifically, this is the younger Laura, I'm pretty sure, being on X-Force. Okay. Boy, they, they confused Wolverine. The, the, the code name Wolverine is just way too complicated these days. So she's done partying with the with the girls and- With the, the vampire people, yeah. I, I think so, yeah. And uh, because the older Laura we're supposed to call Talon now. So this is Wolverine, but not Wolverine Wolverine. It's, and anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll read the book. We'll tell you about next time. This, I think, is supposed to start paying off that whole chronicler pot, plot point, you know, the, the secret control of Colossus that's been simmering for, it yeah. seems like, forever. So that thing is going to finally start paying off. And we will be talking about Nightcrawler, number three of three, uh, the penultimate chapter of Sins of Sinister. And some of those sound like they might be pretty good. So uh, I know this week we're kind of down on things, but hope springs eternal. We hope this big event finishes strong. We hope this new era of X-Force really kicks off with a bang. And we hope that as we head into Fall of X, we get another burst of creativity and uh, some more wind in our sails. So... Keep hope alive. That was a really weird place to use that quote. Jim should probably edit that out. <laughs> but, Ruben, what do we say at the end of every episode of A Weird Dose of X? Read more X-Men comics. Bye-bye.